less about achievement and I think more just about emotionally being present and what do you most need to hear? What is your truth? What is still certain? Today's episode is sponsored by The Artist Incubator. If you're ready to take your art sales to the next level, I have spots available to work with me. Just go to shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z to apply. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 107 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I'm so honored that you're here. Today, we're talking all about how to use visual journaling to heal trauma. In this episode, you'll discover how using a visual journal is an effective form of therapy. We'll share an exercise you can try today to lessen your anxiety in the face of uncertainty. And finally, we'll talk about why we all need some soothing to recover from the collective trauma we've all been experiencing in 2020. Today's guest was born and raised in the state of Maine. She worked as a licensed clinical social worker in private practice and the Army National Guard. She specializes in trauma treatment. Her art journaling has coincided with her 20-year career in social work, the love of art, becoming a therapeutic creative outlet and passion. She returned to college enrolling in art courses following her time on active duty in the U.S. Air Force. She has published artwork in several Stampington and companies nationwide magazines from 2012 to 2019, published in Studio Visit and art journal pages shown throughout the state of Maine art galleries. In her journals, the words, paint, and ink spill across the pages with no conscious plan or desired outcome. Nothing off limits. The work is intuitive and often incorporates themes of women and the pursuit of freedom. Our guest recently co-authored a visual workbook, The Story of Tatnook and You, for young adult trauma survivors. The book was created for trauma survivors to know that they are not alone. There is hope and provide tools and resources to help guide them along the path of healing. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Amber Walker. Well, hello, Amber. Welcome to the show. Hello, Miriam. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Well, it's so good to see you again, even though it's not exactly in person. <laughs> right. <laughs> we so can pretend. <laughs> we can. So Amber and I know each other from the thing called real life, which I desperately <laughs> miss right now. <laughs> me too. <laughs> the days when we used to socialize not over Zoom. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Amber and I actually met in New Mexico. Wait a minute, you were with me on the horse ride. Yes. I wondered if you were going to bring that up. (laughs) Wait, we've got to talk about this. Okay. All right. So why don't you tell everybody what this whole retreat was about that you and I both ended up on, and then we'll talk about the horses. 
Well, I think the retreat was called the Call of the Wild, which is interesting that that we ended up on the horses on the retreat because I don't recall being part of no. the plan for the retreat. No. Right? It was all art. Right. <laughs> yeah, Flora Bowley and Orly Avenary, and we were attending all these different workshops. But then we had this opportunity at Georgia O'Keeffe Ranch to ride horses. I'm not sure why we signed up for that. I'm not either. (laughs) No, because all I remember was being traumatized in the fourth grade when my mother sent me to Girl Scout camp and I was allergic to hay. The horse bit me. It was not a good experience. I don't know what possessed. I, I think it was because it was the only way you could actually see her ranch was on horseback. Like that was, that was it. Oh, that's coming back to me now. I think you're right. I think, yes, because you couldn't actually get into her house, but you could see it from that horse trail that we went on. Yes. And I think that's what enticed us to sign up. Also, I I had heard the cowboys were cute. (laughs) And they were. (laughs) Were I can't remember. You can't remember that? because I was, it was like, really, I was just in a state speaking about trauma. I mean, I I wouldn't put this in the same category of what we're going to be talking about. But I was terrified to get up on that horse. They were a lot bigger than I remembered, realized, or considered. Me too. I actually did ride horses as a kid. So I thought, oh, this is a piece of cake. I can do this. The horses were much taller and much faster than I remember. Right? Because I think that even though I had the Girl Scout experience, I think what I really remembered is like when I was five going to like these pony ride birthday parties. You know, like where you have these little yes. tiny horses, like which really aren't horses because they're ponies. <laughs> so I thought we were going on, like on a pony ride. I didn't know it was like this ginormous horse. Yet to actually climb up on now, anybody who's ridden horses are probably laughing at us. Like you had to climb up on a ladder to get up onto the horse. <laughs> Yes, that's what concerned me right away. Exactly, right. (laughs) That and the other concern I had was the English gal. Yes. Remember that? Like she was. Yes, there were two of them. Yes. Had to ride very well and they wanted to trot. Do you remember that? I do remember that because we did trot. It was a little bit painful. It was terrifying. I know that too. I, I do have to say the hardest part, though, was like that first 15 feet out of, I know I'm going to embarrass myself. Is, is, it, is it called a corral? You know, out of the, okay, maybe it's, it's not called, co- I'm not sure, right? Neither one of us know. <laughs> but, so where the horses are kept. That sounds good. Yeah, okay, right. It sounds real professional. To get from the corral to the horse trail, you had to go down into a little gully and then back up again. And the rest of it, it was like flat because we were, even though you're surrounded by these magnificent mountains, you're really in a valley the whole time, I think, right? I think so. Or it's funny, that part's to, fuzzy. Yeah, that part's fuzzy. I just remember the trotting was terrifying. I thought, oh, trotting, that doesn't <laughs> that's sound bad. So that's the part that stands out in my mind. We were both like, what, trotting? Well, okay. I, no, the, the scariest part for me was that initial like, well, I'm just like going to eat the money at this point because there's no way I'm getting on this horse, you know, like, okay, I'm out of here. But I think it was the best part of the trip. I do too. It's funny because that's what I recall the most when I think of it. Right? (laughs) I don't remember any art that I learned. We had like, (laughs) was it four days of art? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I had the pleasure, Amber, we were like sitting next to each other. Is that right, Howie? 
Yeah, we were roommates, right? And then no, we, no, 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 no. I thought we were. <laughs> No, my roommate didn't talk to me the whole time. It was like really <laughs> embarrassing. Oh, God. We were just like, I, I, perp- I really wanted a single. Like I would have paid extra for that. And I was just stuck with somebody I didn't know. And it was not as friendly as you. Let's put, put it that way. Or maybe I wasn't friendly. Who knows what happened there? You know, since we always think it's the other person. It's always us. <laughs> right. Well, that shows you how much we hung out together that I thought you were my roommate. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I remember sketching the cacti with you. Yes. Yeah. We took some photographs of each other. Do you remember that? I we had do. To, like, poses. Yeah. Well, I didn't before until you just mentioned it. But yes, I do remember <laughs> now. Right. Yeah, that was fun. And then I just want to let everyone know the reason we, we're still in touch is Amber publishes articles in Art Journal Magazine, which is the Stampington publication. And I had my articles published. And I think we were published in the same magazine issues too. That was kind of fun. Yeah, I think I saw your article from the retreat, right? You made one of your art pieces into a book and it was in the Art Journaling Magazine. I did. So what happened was... I'm hoping this is interesting to the listeners because we're, we're talking about it regardless. Okay. So the first two days we made this giant Mandela on a full sheet of watercolor paper. And that was the course we did with Flora Boley and her BFF, whose name I can't, do you remember her name? Vita something. Yeah, These are Savita. all made up names, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> like everyone picks a stage name, I think, in the art world, except for me. This is my real name. Is, is that your real name too? Amber's my real name. On the way to the retreat, the woman I was sharing a car with, we were discussing, you know, I'm not going to say that out loud, what we thought of the, the made up names, Lily and Flora and this and that. And, and somebody who had never known about it was like, anyway, you know how you come up with what your hooker name is going to be? Like your the street name plus a flower plus... Right. A, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, well, my name is Rose Bromley. The first two days were lovely. I had fun. I didn't think I'd be able to get that huge sheet of watercolor back on the plane again from New Mexico to New York. So on day number three, you weren't with me on day three, right? You did a different course. I did. Yep. I went with Orly's course. Okay. So I thought I was going to be taught how to embroider. It was like some sort of embroidery course. No, 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 no. They just said, here's the supplies. So I was a little frustrated in that class. So me being the rebel that I am, I turned my watercolor sheet into like an accordion art journal. And so, yeah, that's what I did with that article. That was so cool. I remember that because I remember you saying like, how am I going to get this on the plane? And and yeah. you problem solved quickly and made it into a book. Well, it was, pro- it was solving two problems. My frustration with the embroidery class that I didn't want to do. So <laughs> I was just going to work on my journal. So anyway, so here we are. Amber has a book, The Visual Journal. And Amber, I didn't actually know that you are, is a social worker would be your title or what would that? Yeah, yes. Licensed clinical social worker. I never realized that. This is like an amazing book and it couldn't come at a more perfect time. What was your intention behind this book? The interesting thing is it, I felt like it came to me. Like I didn't set out to create this book to begin with. I started to have inspiration, I guess you'd say. Like this isn't actually in the book, but I did write about this on my website and it's, I saw this still train and it had graffiti on it and it had this young girl and it really stood out to me because usually the graffiti is not very good on our trains here in Maine. 
But this one was spectacular, and it was this young woman, and she had this yellow hat, and it was slouched down over her eyes. I started to think about this idea of like healing going with inside yourself and that the healing journey is not outside of you. And so I started thinking about this intuitive flight, internal flight. And then I started thinking about a young girl, like walking along a young girl's journey while she's healing from trauma. And I thought, wow, what would that be like to create a visual journal that her stories intertwine through it and helping somebody through each prompt? So that's how it started to evolve. And I, I would just wanted people to know like they're not alone as they're going through the process because I think it can be a very lonely time when you're working on trauma and you're working with your therapist. I think sometimes people can feel like they're alone, even though I know like there's been a Me Too movement and people see that. I think it still can be challenging. So I thought, wow, I just really hope that people could embrace the fact that they were not alone this trauma survivor was next to them and doing these prompts with them and showing examples from her work. I like the way that you approach that. And I just want to take a moment to define trauma. You can think about it in a very limited way and think it doesn't apply to you. But then if you think about it in a different way, it actually is something that can apply to a lot of us. So can you share your wisdom on how you would define trauma and who this is for? I'm so glad you said that because I'll hear that a lot actually in my practice. People will say, I don't know if that's really a trauma or not. And really the only definition that I use in my practice is, does it divide a time before and after? So can you go back and say, I was this person before and I was this person after? Was it a real defining event for you that changed you? And so that can be something, a car accident for some people come into the practice to work on for trauma. Abuse, it can be combat. So it is a very loose definition. It's something that's impacted you and now is impacting your life in a negative way. Personally with my daughter, so she's 22, she's in college. About a year and a half ago, she had a massive seizure and she was in the ICU for a whole week. And that was her defining moment that really separated her before and after. And she still has episodes now, which they have to be defined really as PTSD because it's like she doesn't feel safe in her own body. I mean, we're all going through a collective trauma right now with COVID and everything that's happening. But to her, it's a little bit next level because of that feeling of not feeling safe, not having that. And I know you talk about safety a lot in your book. Can you share one of the exercises about creating a safe space? Because I think people need to understand how visual journaling fits in with the way you use art to heal. That's actually a foundational practice that we even use. Like I'm trained in EMDR and that's one of the ways that we treat trauma. And so before we do that, one of the things we do is create safe place. And mm -hmm. so safe place, you can do it as a visualization of where is a place where you felt completely safe and okay. That's the criteria it has to meet. And when you really don't want it to be dependent on a person in case that relationship shifts or maybe there's been some hardships in the relationship. So really, that might be a time you went to the ocean and you can recall feeling really safe with, you know, maybe rocks around you and the, your feet in the sand. And you're really evolving all those senses. Like, what did you smell? What did you hear? You know, what did you see? And I'll have people go through all those senses 
And then you can create the visual journal page. So what are those colors? What are the shapes? Maybe you're like, I don't know if I can draw. Maybe you have a photograph of it. I encourage people to like put their photograph in the visual space and then write about what is it about that space that makes you feel safe and okay. And the great thing is then you can have that visual reminder of it. And wherever you are, you can bring up that safe place in your head if you need it. No one needs to know you're even doing it. And it's different for different people. Like it could be the mountains, could be an ocean, could be a grandmother's kitchen. It's different for everyone. And some people have said to me, well, I've never felt safe or okay anywhere. And so we'll explore like where could you find that place, right? So then you do some excursions and obviously in safe places so you can get to that feeling and really engage all the senses so you can really immerse yourself in it in that visualization. That's wonderful. I love that. But I have a question. Sure. And you're talking about defining trauma as the before, the you before, the you after. Is the healed you trying to get to where you were before the trauma or evolve into a new place? That is a really hard part of the trauma work is a lot of people will say, I want to be that person again. And unfortunately, part of the work is grief because that doesn't typically happen. What happens is an integration of that self because we're constantly evolving, right? Even if we don't have trauma in our life, I mean, 2020 is going to become part of us and what we've been through and we've changed because of it. So we're this new self. And so you won't return typically to that old self. That's never the goal. The goal is to integrate that trauma and somehow get to this place where this is the new you that you embrace. And sometimes there's some real gifts that come from that, being a survivor. And there's studies being done where they're finding that you even evolve to a place of greater growth, and they call it post-traumatic growth that you're going to be functioning at an even higher level than before the trauma. Because think about it, when you've gone through hard times and you've got through them, you probably have had to dig deep, right? And get to that inner strength that's inside of you. You can pull from that then. It's, you know, it's part of you. So yeah, the goal is not to return to the old self. Oh, that's awesome. So it's kind of like when you have a wound and your wound heals, you're going to have a scar tissue on top that's going to be harder than it was before you had that wound. Would that be right? You could use the word scar. Sometimes I think of it as like, it was almost like you had this map, right? That you're carrying along and you're on this map and you're navigating it. And then all of a sudden, something takes place on the map that thrusts you in a different direction. You would not have wanted that. You've not wanted that to happen. So all of a sudden, this new map is unfolding, right? So you're making choices and you're also integrating those old steps that you have, but creating new steps. You could use the word scar. I also use it as like this warrior, right? That you've become, you know, like this is like you're a survivor of something hard and painful. And yet here you are still standing and and a lot of times helping somebody else along the way. 
Hey, I hate to interrupt, but I just wanted to let you know that I do have room inside my Artist Incubator program. It's my small group private coaching program for artists who are serious about making a living from their art. If you're lacking a solid strategy or a winning mindset, or maybe you've been disappointed with your current art sales, I can help with that. If you've been listening to this podcast and you found my tips helpful, then maybe now it's time to take the next logical step and come work with me on a deeper level. The Artist Incubator Program is by invitation only, which is why I ask you to fill out an application and choose a time to talk with me. I only want artists who truly are a great fit. It's not a sales call. It is a discovery call. So go to shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z to apply now. Now back to the show. So you mentioned how we're all going through this collective trauma. Yes. In 2020. (laughs) Yes. Unbelievable. Who knew? Uh, Not me. (laughs) No, none of us. Uh, I mean, I'm one of those naive people back in March who thought it would be all blown over and And that's not because I buy into what the president says. I really did think that, oh, flu season always ends by May. What we're all faced with right now, which has been really traumatic for all of us, is the anxiety of uncertainty. Amber, do you have an exercise that you recommend for us to lessen this anxiety that we're all facing? Because we we always thought, and, and this is the other thing, is that Sometimes I get annoyed when people say we're living in uncertain times. And I'm like, when has it ever been certain? We just thought it was. Right. Because in February, we thought everything was certain, but it really wasn't. We had no idea what was happening. So what would you say that now that we have this bigger awareness of how our life is uncertain and it's causing us anxiety, what do you recommend? Yeah, I think it really heightens anxiety, right? There is a heightened awareness of like, okay, what do I have power and control over and what don't I have power and control over? It's really important to like sit quietly and again, go within yourself and say, okay, what are my truths? What is certain right now? What do I believe? And maybe that's as simple as I believe the sun's going to rise tomorrow morning. And then focusing in on that. And maybe you create a journal page around that, around the sunrise, around the colors, and write some thoughts about what's that look like. Maybe you get up and you make sure that you see the sunrise that day. Because we still have power and control about how we show up in this time, right? One thing that I, at the very beginning of this, said to myself, after we get through this time, what do I want to look back and see myself doing? How do I want to look back and say, this is how I showed up? And I mean, some days that was as simple as I showered and my daughter had her homeschooling for 30 minutes check. And I'm okay with that, right? That was thriving that day. (laughs) But I want to look back and also say, these were some things, not that I accomplished, but maybe just some things that I practiced with my daughter. For instance, one day we went, it was at the very beginning of this, and we went to the grocery store. There were shields and masks, and this was pretty early on, and I hadn't taken her anywhere, but we happened to have to run in that day. We left, and she says, are you scared? And I said, yes, I am. This is scary. And so we, we actually ditched the schedule, and we drove to the ocean that day. No one was around, which was amazing because it's a gorgeous spot in Maine. And we just stood on the rocks and looked at the ocean and we talked about how beauty still exists in these uncertain times, right? 
I'm excited that I can look back and, and I can share this with you, right? I can say I stood at the ocean with my daughter and shared this moment. So really asking yourself, like, what do you want to look back and see yourself doing? And I, and I encourage people not to focus so much on achievement, because I know as a parent myself through this time, I wasn't writing the book. <laughs> I was wrapping it up, actually, as COVID-19 hit. And I don't think I'd be doing much writing now. So it's less about achievement and I think more just about emotionally being present and what do you most need to hear? What is your truth? What is still certain? That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, after we finished cleaning a few closets, we got bored of that pretty quickly. You know, it's like, okay, this is, this is lasting a little longer than I thought. I'm going to read so many books. I mean, I got through the entire Harry Potter series again. That's amazing. I started at book one. I got through all the way to book seven. And then I was like, oh, the pandemic's still happening. Now what do I do? (laughs) So there was like, okay, well, watch the movies. (laughs) Now we'll do the audiobooks. I I didn't know what to do with myself. I think I also had a lot of comfort from reading stories where I knew how it was going to end. Yes. That's a great idea. Sometimes I found a comfort just in watching a movie too that had like such a, you know, happy ending. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. B movies only, please. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody needs to die. There be a lot of preparation for that. Right. <laughs> so tell me about your partner writing this though, because I see it's a co-written book. Yes, that's powerful because I had a version completed. I didn't care for the writing. I felt like it was too just childish and disjointed. And so I happened to be co-facilitating a conference with another social worker and I shared it with her and she said, no, I think there's something here. And at the end of the conference, she said to me, are you okay if I ask the question if someone's here is open to looking at it and maybe being a co-writer with you? And I said, yeah, that would be great. So she asked the question and afterwards, after the conference closed, Cindy, who is the co-author, approached me. And strangely enough, we worked together almost 20 years ago in a group home for young adults. And she said, I'm interested in doing the writing. And so she took a copy with her. I felt like that's where Tatnook, that's the girl in the book, really got her voice because that's where Cindy really started putting words to it that really felt like a genuine trauma survivor story and connected. And then what's interesting too, and Cindy shares some of this in her bio, that Cindy actually did some of her own trauma work when she was a teenager and she'd done artwork through that process. So she said to me, what do you think about including my artwork in the book? I'll just send it to you, see what you think. Cindy's, some of Cindy's artwork of when she was a teenager, you know, working on her trauma history is in the book, which I think is just so powerful. That's part of Tatnook artwork. How did you distinguish between your artwork and her artwork or did you? Like, can you tell whose is whose? Funny, we actually didn't distinguish. It was all Tatnook's artwork because our whole thought was Tatnook is all these trauma survivors we've worked with over the years because we're both, you know, now we're both in our private practice doing trauma work. And so we've sat with countless trauma survivors. And so we really wanted Tatnook's artwork to hopefully hold a lot of those stories that we've heard and really present some of those stories. So I thought at first when she sent me the artwork, because someone even mentioned that to me, well, well, it looked like two different artists. 
so it won't look like cat nooks. And it really didn't because her artwork ended up being more through, there's really three sections to the book and her artwork ended up actually being more through the trauma section. My artwork's more in like the coping strategies, the grounding, getting you ready for the work. And then hers is through that trauma section of writing the trauma if you feel comfortable, if you're in therapy and that's something that you feel comfortable doing. And then towards the end is integrating that into your story and really owning that you're a survivor and a warrior. And that's more my work again. So it made like a really interesting arc to the work. It was like it was meant to be. As cheesy as that sounds. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really notice there was like an interrupt because you know, when I went through the book of a different style, but I find that interesting. Now, I know that you're gearing this towards young adults. Who is this book too mature for? Like, what would you put the age of being the defining that? Probably I would go as young as 15. And then if, if they were in therapy and the therapist looked at it, recommended it, then they could go younger than that. I think they could go as young as 13, but I wouldn't go any younger than 15 if, you know, you're just picking it up. And, and I would even recommend just like a parent flipping through it to see that you really want to be ready for the work. Unless you just want to do, like, there's a lot of activities, like, for instance, color breathing, breathing in a color that's soothing, breathing out a color distress, a, you know, a grounding exercise where you just really get mindful of the very moment. So there's a lot of exercises like that. But once you get into more of the trauma work, like the writing and stuff, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're, you know, sitting with a therapist as well. Because this really was meant as a guide to help along that process of therapy. My daughter took a look at it and she did have that feeling like, I don't want to do this where mom can see it, you know, like, <laughs> right. So I can't do this in your copy. So, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. I would say definitely, I hope that if a teenager picks it up, young adult, that it's just theirs and it isn't for anyone else to view other than their therapist, obviously. Because what we really hope is that they'll dive into it, make it their own. It can be personal. It's just like, I don't know about you, Miriam, but for my art journal, it's personal, you know? And sometimes it's so personal that I paint over it or burn the page or whatever it might be afterwards. So that's what we hope for this book is like, it can be personal. It's not something you put on Facebook, right? It's something that like you can dump into it and just release and express and not have to be perfect and not have not to be pretty. Not worthy. Yeah, yeah, right? Not everything has to be shared. Yeah, yeah, which is so nice. I hope it's a container for them where it's like, wow, this is a container, an extension of like my privacy. Like I get to do this on my own. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that that's a powerful thing that they get to protect, right? They get to choose like, okay, this is for me. This isn't something I want mom to look at. <laughs> yeah, one thing that's interesting, Amber, when you and I both published in Art Journal Magazine, they actually ask you when you submit your journal for publication, you can put sticky notes on pages and label it not for publication. Did, right. you, did you do that? Like actually hide some pages? You know, I have done that, but it's more like, I remember one time Tisha Moore, I loved her style and this was years ago. I did her style on a page, so I didn't want it published because I felt like it wasn't my style. I felt like it was Tisha's style, and I didn't want that to be owned as mine. You know what I mean? So I put there, but 
typically if it's super personal, I'm typically like painting over it or, you know, it's in the layers. Like I know it's there, but you don't see it. Right. How about you? When I submitted it, it was more like uh, inner critic type stuff. Like, oh, I'm not sure this one is good enough. You know, that was more like that kind of thing rather than something being too personal because my journals tend to be very text-based. But even then, you don't know what I'm talking about unless it's like (laughs) a list of things because a lot of my art, and this is true not just of art journal pages, but all my art, the emotions are there. The stories are there. It may not be explicit. And I know it's there. And sometimes I don't even know it's there. It's there. Yes. But it's, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. I've seen that even going, I don't know about you, but looking back at a page and it's like, oh, I didn't even see that until after. So it was like in there, but it wasn't intentional. It wasn't something that I even was conscious of in the moment or even at that time. But I could flip back and go, oh, that's right. Yeah. And somebody who's a trained art historian who's used to looking at symbolism and art might be able to tease some things out. I had this experience where I, this is, I think going a year ago, I went to Israel. It makes it sound like I'm such a world traveler, which I guess I am because I went to New Mexico with you. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. So anyway, I was in Israel and the trip was all Judaism trip, but there was this one day we had a free day. I said, let's go to an art gallery. And I grabbed some friends And I was pointing out all kinds of stuff to them that to me was kind of visually obvious, but I knew wasn't to them. Like, well, you see here, there's a butterfly that always represents metamorphosis. And you see there's a thread here. That's her healing herself. You know, there's like certain things that like it's a visual language that if you're very familiar with how people use visual languages, you can untangle it and decipher it but it's not obvious. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. Because you have a trained eye. I mean, you're working with these symbolism and you're, you know, in it. So I feel like even with my art drilling, I don't know if you find this, but like I notice so much more in my environment. So I can see why you'd pick up like symbolism and things like that. Like things that I probably would have never have noticed before art journaling. Like I remember I was actually active duty. I was sitting in a conference and we're all in our uniforms and there was like blue shining in the glass, like blue shining through our glasses. And I couldn't figure out why. And I really wanted to capture a picture, but that would be very odd for me to like take out my camera with all of us sitting in uniform, you know, taking pictures of the glass. But I don't think I would have noticed that without my practice. So I think it gives you this other way of seeing your world, right? And seeing artwork. I know that a lot of my students, and now I'm talking not just about art journaling, but like my watercolor students, once they get into the practice of working in, in this visual medium, they start to see the world a little bit differently. That's not just blue, but what shade of blue is that? And how would I, you know, how's that blue make me feel? And the light on things. So it really help awakens your senses. We talk about the before and the after trauma. There's also the before and after the, I don't know what to call it, the art enlightenment. Yes. <laughs> right. Your, your artistic awakening, so to speak. Yes. Do you agree with that too? I do. I don't feel like I notice things in my environment like I have since my art practice. And everything becomes like fodder for the art journal. I remember I was in a parking lot once and I was with a friend and I happened to see it was like this 
I don't know, it was like this circle paper cutout thing. And I was like, oh, and I like just dove for it. And they're like, oh my word, you almost got hit by a car. I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice the car, but I noticed the circle thing that I'm going to use with my spray paint. (laughs) So you got to be cautious about that. (laughs) Amber, that brings me to a great question. What brought you first to art journaling or art? You know, this is what is so strange about Cindy coming forward, the co-author, because that's where my art journey began. It was Sabrina Ward Harrison's Spilling Open Book. Mm. I was, yeah, I was doing therapy with teenage girls and I was doing group work with them. I didn't want it to be the same like talk session after talk session. So I thought, wow, what could I do for some art? So we looked out there to see and she had just published her Spilling Open Book. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I started this, it was a six-week group, and it was Every Girl's a Princess. It was based on this poem she had in her Spilling Open book, and we did it a lot. Like, we did these art journal pages around, like, them owning their worth and their value and seeing their worth and their value. And so I fell in love with the artwork. At times, I'm like, oh, yeah, right, I'm running a group, right? Like, don't get too into your art. But it spilled over. That's when scrapbooking was, like, had an explosion. I don't know if you remember that time. So I was like in the scrapbooking aisles, buying supplies and running home and throwing it in a journal. And I've never looked back. I've kept an art journal since that time. I think it was like 2000, 2001, maybe is when it was right when her book came out. Yeah. Wow. By the way, Amber beats me then. <laughs> before I started art journaling, I used to see people doing it. I didn't get it because I'm all about art sales and art business and how can I monetize this? And this is something you do just for you until I realized, oh, the reason you do it is because it's just for you. Yeah. I get that question. I get people to ask me like, why do you do it? (laughs) And sometimes I have to ask myself that because it's not a moneymaker. Like it's not something I have like put out there to like have a business, but it's been incredibly therapeutic. Oh, for sure. And my daughter keeps an art journal. She has a very different way of journaling than you or I. It's very much text-based, no paint, and she uses washi tape and makes like very elaborate patterns with it. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, so it's almost like a collage of washi and she uses it in her day planner. She basically covers over pages she doesn't need anymore. It's interesting how, what she does, but she just finds kind of the repetition of the taping very soothing to her and then creating these patterns. Be, I, I haven't really fully asked her like, that process because I know it's so personal Personal. that I feel to ask her too many questions might be intrusive. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's me not being interested enough in my child. Who knows? But that's part of what I love about when I do teach art journaling groups is seeing how you can even give the same instructions, right? To everybody in the room, but everybody, it's like it's their fingerprint, right? Oh, yeah. Page is going to look different. And I love, I love watching how people put their own spin and what their therapeutic process is. So it's exciting to hear that your daughter's found that for herself. You know, she's found that niche for herself. Like that's therapeutic for her. Yeah. And she doesn't want to touch any of the kind of art that I do because that's what mom does. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> does your daughter do any kind of journaling? How old is How old is Lily? I actually have two daughters. My older daughter, she she does a ton of it, and it's beautiful. And she doesn't put it out there at all. Lily, she's nine, 
she is so funny you asked me that because yesterday she says can you show me how to do eyes and so we were like doing eyes and she couldn't wait she's like I've always wanted to make red hair like Ginny from Harry Potter (laughs) so she's painting the red hair so yes she does her own she's like a very like free like I want to throw paint at it so we've actually made large paintings together too Oh, interesting yeah but she's very like I love watching her it's fun to watch I don't know how many kids you've watched paint and I haven't watched many but she just like will throw paint at it and just get right in the process like completely in the flow it's exciting to see you can see why it's so therapeutic right that you can just play and it reminds me of that Picasso quote that he spent his whole life learning how to paint like a child again that's not the exact quote but that's like was the sentiment that you have your most creativity before when you're young and then you kind of conform and then you spend your whole life kind of getting back to that place again of childlike wonder it's funny you mentioned him because I didn't really understand his art and then I went to I think it was in Texas an art gallery and they had this huge painting of his and there was something very moving about it. I don't know if you've ever seen his paintings in person, but I was shocked at the energy and and it sounds funny, but there is something to his work that I stood there for a very long time just studying and there was some emotion from it and I could even like pick up what it was, but there was an intense emotion from it. I love when that happens when you're standing in front of a piece of artwork and you get moved. Yeah, me yeah. too. All right. So this is a great place to wrap up Amber's book, Visual Workbook, The Story of Tatnook and You. I've linked to it in the show notes, which you can find at chillmanart.com forward slash 107. It's on Amazon. I've also put it in the book club. If you want to see more books, I recommend chillmanart.com forward slash book club. All right, Amber, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this show complete? I would just say to all the trauma survivors out there, I just want them to know that there's hope and there are resources. They're, you know, not alone. And I I hope that this book accomplishes that, that it sends the message that, that you're not alone and that there is help and there's treatment for trauma. I hope they don't suffer alone and hope that they come forward and seek therapy and and hold that hope for themselves. Thank you, Miriam. Well, thank you so much for being with me here today. This has truly been a beautiful episode. I'm sure my listeners are going to love it. So thank you. All right. So I want to let you know I've included links to all the places that we've mentioned in the show notes. Amber's book. We'll also make sure Sabrina Ward Harrison's book's in there too, in case you've missed out on that. So the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 107. And don't forget, if you like this episode, please check out the Artist Incubator. It's my private coaching program for artists who want to take their current art business to the next level. It's by application only. Shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z. Just answer a few questions. It's just to make sure that we're a good fit for each other. And we'll have an interview and we'll discuss the next steps you need to take to reach your goals and thrive. Thanks so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Make it a great one. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. 